Welcome to the Renewable Energy Hour. I'm Doug Livingston, and my co-host, uh, traveling by electrons, I guess, and is Alex Aragon. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? Ooh, speed of light. Speed of light. All right, how you doing, Doug? Yeah, it's probably not the speed of light, but uh, unless, unless you're traveling in on fiber optics. Um, ele- uh, electric- so electricity good. doesn't travel the speed of light, contrary to common belief. Um, and um, I've just had a phone call on myself from Fred Woolley and another phone call to the studio line. I wonder if there's something weird going out on the air. Um, anyhow, I'll keep going. Uh, so we've, we've got a fairly loosely planned show tonight. We, were, we had a handful of topics we wanted to discuss and leave plenty of time to open up for callers if they wanted to add on to any of those topics or maybe even bring up one of their own. Um, but uh, the, the first one was, Alex, we were going to talk about, you know, what what equipment goes with what. what, what it, yeah, you've been doing a lot of lithium-ion batteries, and I've been struck by how incompatible a lot of equipment is with lithium-ion batteries, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I just had a conversation with uh, Roy Dingham about this, actually. Um, Roy Dingham's been in the industry for quite a while. The solar industry is really an incestuous uh, group of people for the most part. Uh, he worked for, I don't know, six or seven different companies uh, over the years, so he's really got a good view on you know, what's been happening uh, in recent uh, developments in the last 20 years. Uh, but lithium batteries, they've come onto the scene, and they really have been changing things. But it took a little while for them to really become practical for uh, for using in home systems. You know, the lithium batteries have different charge parameters than lead acid batteries do. So it was kind of tough to try to have older equipment work with the lithium chemistry and you know, how they'd work, how they would need to get their charge parameters set and the absorption times, all these different uh, charge setting parameters. So uh, the company Simplify, uh, which is, you know, if you've been listening to us at all, it's been one of my favorites for many years, um, they decided to make their batteries kind of a, a self-contained unit that had its own uh balance the system, its own uh, battery management system is built in board. And so they were making them so they could drop into existing systems that were set up for lead acid batteries. Um, they really uh, really had a good uh, thing going there for a while because, uh, you know, people didn't want to reinvent their entire systems and, you know, buy all new equipment and such. They wanted to be able to use what they already had and just take out their lead acid batteries and put in these batteries. Well, it worked pretty well. You had to have a few different adjustments. Uh, you couldn't have stuff that was like pre-2000 for the most part. You had to have digitally controlled stuff that you could really control how long things would charge. Basically, you got to get the charge voltage up to a certain you know, higher threshold. You had to be able to limit it uh, so it wouldn't go past the maximum input the lithium battery you want. And you had to have it so it would only hold it up to that voltage for a short amount of time. Whereas let out lead acid batteries are kind of dumb, and I'll just take whatever you can give them. So the lithium batteries that Simplify made, they made it simple. Well, simple 
you know, simple is good until you start getting really advanced in technologies. And now we have inverters and um, equipment that's operating much more efficiently, uh, and it's based more on a stronger relationship, uh, you know, actually shaking hands with and having communication between the batteries and the control equipment, the inverters and the charge controllers. So now we're getting networked uh, batteries. And Simplify does have uh, batteries that can network, where basically you have a... Uh, the ability to plug in a communication cable that plugs into the brain of the battery, the uh, DMS system, the battery management system, uh, and it can actually plug in the inverter. And then the battery's onboard controller changes the settings and controls how the how the charge is coming to it from the inverters and from the charge controllers. Is that so, is that brand specific? No, well. Each battery has its own ability to communicate with different different components. Uh, there are uh, there are some what do we call them? I guess kind of adapter systems that can make it so that you know you can have a battery speaking one language that can speak to an inverter speaking a different language. But you know you got to have that designed specifically. But the uh, battery manufacturers have been wanting to make their products available. Uh, so they've been working with the different inverter manufacturers who also want to be in the game. So they've kind of been working on how to shake hands a little bit better. Uh, but not every lithium battery can work with every piece of equipment. But most um, most of them work with multiples? It's not a one-to-one relationship? Right, yeah. You don't have, well, aside from Tesla, it's proprietary, of course. Uh, I have not worked with Tesla myself yet. I've never been part of their system. But... Um, yeah, like, uh, you know, if you have uh, a Simplify battery or a Discover battery, there's a host of different inverters that are recommended that you can use them with. And there's also others that you just can't. They cannot be programmed to their parameters. But, you know, it's, it's nice when you can uh, find a battery brand, a manufacturer brand, and find its, uh, you know, its uh, documentation where it will say, oh, yeah, this will work with, Outback, you know, different models, these different models of Outback. It'll work with post, you know, post revision types. such and such. Yeah, and so you can actually like find a list of those things or documentation of what it can actually, you know, what it can actually connect to and deal with. Um, what are some? Are still, what are some of your favorite couplings? Uh, well, one of the ones I like best for uh, big off-grid home systems is uh, Schneider, uh, which is the XW system, which is the uh, lineage from Trace. And from mm-hmm. Trace to Xantrex, now it's Schneider. Um, and uh, they pair really well with Discover uh, batteries. Discover batteries are nice. They're uh, like a 7.5 kilowatt hour battery, typically. So it's a pretty good-sized battery for each one. You don't have a whole bunch of you know, smaller batteries and having to make a whole bunch of different wiring connections to them. But it can actually plug into the uh, ZAN bus, the brain of the of the uh, Schneider inverter system, and it can take over and control the uh, charger. It can also, its, it's uh, parameters are used for starting the generator, uh, um, you know, how long it's going to run for and all that kind of stuff. So you can wind up with systems where instead of it being kind of a, you know, okay, we know the voltage got this low, so let's go ahead and turn on the generator, and it's going to run until the voltage gets this high for this long. It actually can 
you can set them in some cases where, okay, the battery the generator is going to turn on and the battery gets down to 35%, and then it will run until it gets to 80%. That way you still have some extra headroom for when the sun comes up in the morning, so you aren't just immediately spending, you know, wasting, you it. wasting all, yeah. all the energy. Can you program those sorts of things? Yeah, in, most, in many cases you can. Uh, not every case, uh, but a lot of them you can. Uh, and, you know, there's still some intuition going into it for, uh, you know, well, I, I find that you know, I can, in most cases, I can take a look at the system and I can think about how it's going to operate and look at how somebody's going to be using it. And uh, I, I can come up with different methods and how it, you know, ideally set it up. Uh, and rotor systems that are getting more, black boxy and more like oh just plug it all together and let it do the work uh, which is great for consumers uh, but it's a little bit of that makes me a little nervous <laughs> yeah just a little bit <laughs> you know it's, it's the how 9000 thing <laughs> coming up on you again but, uh, I'm sorry Dave <laughs> I can't do that I can't you. do that <laughs> uh, but uh, the uh yeah, I had actually been working on a system that was uh, designed by one supplier uh, using uh, solar converters and kilovolt batteries. And uh, they're being provided by, by a supplier, and the intention is they really want to pair those uh, two products together. But right now, they don't communicate with each other. Um, <clears throat> so I've been setting up this large off-grid power system, and I've been having to set it up kind of like you would with an old lead-acid battery where the batteries are doing their own thing and the dumb thing and the, the inverters are doing their thing and giving the charge to the batteries when they need it. And it should work seamlessly, but it's a little awkward. Uh, you know, I'm finding little things like uh, the, the batteries, like I have six different batteries in the system, and they're all... They're all charging a little bit differently, and so I've been talking to the manufacturers and the tech support, and they've been saying, oh, yeah, well, give them a few cycles, and they'll probably even out a little bit more, that kind of thing. Oh, they'll probably even out a little bit more does not quite still <laughs> me the confidence to turn my back on the system yet. Yeah, well, yeah. especially what, what was the cost of the battery bank in this system? Uh, it was enough that I blanched when I saw, saw it. I didn't provide it. I, <laughs> they bought the equipment and brought it in. Uh, I think the batteries are uh, about uh, six grand each or something like that. Yeah. Six in the system. So $36,000 worth of batteries in an off-grid home? That's a big off-grid outdoor system, uh, agricultural system. Ah, okay. So big. It's got a commercial, commercial use. Right. But, uh, you know, trying to set it all up, getting it to the point where I'm confident that it's going to still be on tomorrow kind of thing and that it's not going to crash and literally burn, for God's sake, you know. Or, uh, or, or just ruin the batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I'm doing all this talk to tech support and trying to figure out what's, what's going on with some of it. You know, it's funny. I was listening to, uh, I was listening to this great radio station, KZYX, the other day. Uh, they were talk- someone was talking about the... Um, what is it, the 737 uh, jumbo planes or whatever they are, the ones that were having the crashing problems? The MAX, uh, uh, 737, yeah, the 737 MAX. MAX. And in the uh, research on it, they figured out that the problem, one of the problems was that when they came out with the MAX instead of just the regular 737, they had to change some of the way it operated uh, because they had different weight distributions on it. Uh, but they didn't 
when they released the plane, they didn't want to have to retrain pilots. So what they did is they did computer programs that would, you know, <clears throat> that would allow for a different uh, weight distribution. And they figured, oh, well, it'll automatically take care of that, so we don't need to tell the pilots. So lo and behold, when the sensor didn't work right, the plane didn't respond as the uh, pilots were used to. And so because they weren't told what was going on, planes were crashing. They, well, and they had no way of turning it off. They didn't know how to turn right. it off. Uh, some of the black box cases of some of this inverter equipment uh, where I don't really have all the information on. You know, what, what happens when, this, when I reach this certain uh, you know, set point? Is it then like uh, have a timer that starts before it you know, shuts down the charging? Or is it based, you know, I, I, don't know what the, I don't know what the algorithms are based on. So you know, when something isn't going as expected, it's I'm hard. trying to rely on something that's not working right. So it's kind of annoying, you know? Yeah. Uh, kind of scary sometimes. Yeah, I guess I'm a but, l- little bit of a control freak, too. I like to have control over all the programmable behaviors. I'll refer anyone who wants to let off into you, but okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Doug. I still... I st- I still talk people out of uh, lithium ion with some regularity, but not always. So. Okay. Well, I don't. <laughs> I definitely. I definitely. Uh, well, usually, not... usually I do it with the upfront price tag, because often, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. often it's somebody who just can't afford them, and and you know they've heard all the hype and that they're the better battery. They're clearly the better battery. I'm. Uh, I just want to see Absolutely. them in the field a little longer, and I want their price to come down a little more, and they've been steadily dropping. So I'll be fully on board not too long, I expect. I'd also like to get a handle on uh, recycling them. Is that a good segue? <laughs> That's a good segue. Uh, yeah, recycling. We've been asked, uh, this has come up from several of our color, callers over the while, so I've spent a while looking into it. And, uh what I, I believe that uh, lithium battery recycling is an industry that's on its way up. Uh, it might uh, be a good investment for uh, people looking for somewhere to put some money um, because it's really uh, it's really a needed thing. Um, you know, some uh, statistics are that in California alone, by 2030, we're going to have about 4 million electric cars. Uh, that was numbers that were taken from 2019, so it might even be more uh, you know, projected now. But if we have 4 million cars on the road, that means we have over 2 billion pounds of, uh, of uh, lithium batteries out there. Um, so, you know, how long do they last? And, uh, how, how, have you got a handle on that? How, how long do they last in typical driving profiles? I'm betting it's everything from 3 to 12 years. Yeah, I've, I've heard people doing... Eight years with lots of miles. Yeah, yeah. all kinds of different things. I, I think eight but, years is pretty typical from my anecdotal evidence, my small sample. Yeah, but then again, that's that's part of the thing. Is like once you, when is it? When is a battery dead for driving use? Uh, you know, like in the in a lot of vehicles, when you charge it up, completely tells you how much range you have, or how many kilowatt hours you have stored in the battery. Um, after a while, by the time you charge it to the same percentage, so you're charging it 90% every day or whatever, um, 90% doesn't give you as many driving miles as it used to after a while. Um, so there's, it's not like suddenly you, you can't pull out of the driveway and make it to mm-hmm. the store and back. It's like, okay, well, maybe 
you know, maybe you can't make it 300 miles, or maybe you can't make it 250 miles, or 244 miles, or, you know, it decreases every time. So there's still some utility in, in your uh, in your batteries. Uh, so a big part of the uh, of the you know lithium battery and how we're going to do things, they're referring to the three R system. You know, the reduce, reuse, and recycle. Uh, and yeah, you're, you're promoting the uh, the the reuse, I guess. Well, that's part of it. Uh, you know, reduce course is to uh, keep your battery as long as possible. Ah, if you get a okay. battery suddenly has less uh, life in it. Well, if you can have per cell monitoring, you know, it's often the case that a cell or two are going bad. And it could be that, you know, like six years in or five years in, hey, if you replace, you know, this cell or that cell, your whole battery bank's going to last a lot longer with matching, you know, better matching cells. So a battery bank that might have lasted, you know, eight years, might, you might get 10 or 12 out of it by having, you know, a spot check and have the weak cells replaced or, you know, have, you know, bad spots taken care of. Uh, there's lots of different constructions of different types of battery packs and how they go together on that. You know, there's lots of different ways of managing them over time. Sounds like so our first place, our car mechanics are going to have to go back to school. Well, they are. That's that's part of the whole scene. What's going on too? Um, but so the first part then is you know managing your battery. Uh, you know, a lot of luxury vehicles are coming with. Uh, well, what's what's my maintenance? So will you check tires and uh, you know that's about it. Uh, watch the life of the battery. Well, that might be worthwhile to have some checkups. In fact. In fact, it might be the kind of thing where, because we're going to have so much waste and so much, you know, how is that, two billion pounds of, of uh, lithium driving down the road by thirty by 2030, um, it's kind of thing that's going to be a necessary thing to, you know, make these battery packs last longer. Well, okay, so once, you're, once your car battery doesn't have the range you, you, you feel comfortable with anymore, that battery still isn't dead. That battery still can be used for something else. You know, an electric vehicle, you're pulling a lot of currents to, you know, get a, you know, those, those, those Tesla, Tesla cars are really fast, you know, but to go super fast, you're downloading a lot of amps out of that battery really quick, mm-hmm. and that's where batteries get stressed. There's, well, there's also need- also a weight issue, you know, the, the less it holds, the, the less it holds per pound of material, and it sort of kills yeah. your range even further. Starts to become more and more sluggish and all that. So by uh, by the time though a battery might not be good for electric vehicles anymore, it still might be good for like lighting. Uh, you know, if uh, somebody wanted to like go down to a shopping center or something like that, you take a look at all the lights in the parking lot. I leave on all night. You know, that could be pulled off of the grid and put onto a battery pack at different times, or you know, charged up, and you could use it to. You know, charge during off-peak hours and charge it back up. You know, well, there's all kinds of different or, ways. You or can solar. Use. Yeah, you can all all kinds of different ways you can use the battery bank that doesn't have to operate at high amperages. Uh, so a battery that's no longer serviceable for a car could continue to be serviceable uh, as, a, as a storage battery for some light-duty usage uh, for quite some time to go. Uh, you know, uh, part of the longevity of a battery. Is it's not just in years, you know, it's in cycle life. It's in how many cycles do you, you, how many times you take power out and put it back in. But that also changes with how deeply you cycle, how much of the power you take out of the battery. But also depends on how quickly you take that power out. So uh, a 
electric car or electric truck or whatever you happen to have your battery in, that's going to be one of the most challenging ways to use a battery. So after it's done with that, you can put it into lesser and lesser, you know, hardcore usage. Um, another thing about uh, electric car batteries is that you know, it's not like just one big old, you know, case of batteries usually in there. It's not like one solid mass. You don't just pull this giant box out of there and you know, put it somewhere else, a 500-pound battery. Uh, a lot of times they're, you know, broken up into different sections. Like um, there was a... Uh, and stuck where they fit. Model. Yeah, there's like one of the Tesla models uh, used uh, small cylindrical cells. Uh, these are individual cells that are about the same size as a D battery or C battery, kind of in between those two. And it had 18,650 cells distributed throughout the frame of the car. <laughs> so, so that's a little hard to take out and put back in. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, oh, huh, how do you do that? Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I, I was going to say pop the hood, but, you know, it wouldn't be under the hood of the Tesla where you go find the battery. I hope, uh, I hope we're not throwing it. away the whole car after eight years. Well, I, I don't know enough about it to speak intelligently about it, so it's definitely some more research I'm going to look at. Well, I expect, but, uh, I expect there will be a movement to more easily removed and replaced batteries. Yeah, I think there, there really needs to be. And when you start looking at the different ways to recycle batteries, it gets even crazier because uh, there's mainly three different types of uh, cell construction. There's others, too, but... The main ones are uh, cylindrical cells. They're usually the smaller ones, like the D and C cell size batteries. And those are advantageous because they typically have the longest cycle life. Uh, they tend to you know, last the longest to get the most number of charges and discharges out of them. Um, but then there's pr uh, prismatic batteries, which are larger. They'll be like a... Oh, uh, like the size of a, an old thick phone book or something like that. Not quite like that, but like, you know... Uh, <laughs> a hardbound <laughs> a Tolstoy novel or something like that. Uh, <laughs> a good measure for you. But anyway, uh, so there'll be a battery like that. You'll know, have maybe maybe like uh, you know forty of them or something like that in a battery pack, <laughs> and they're all bolted together. <clears throat> well, in that case, with that type of battery, it's a lot easier to identify a bad cell and to replace a bad cell. If you uh, if you're going to go take a look at your Tesla that had 18,650 uh, individual cells through it, and you want to replace the bad ones? Well, okay. Good luck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe, happy. don't they have battery management system looking at all 18,000 cells? Yeah, they do. From, you know, I'm getting big here again because I, uh, I haven't studied it too thoroughly, but what I understand is that they, they do, in some cases, have the ability to bypass a bad cell within an existing system. <laughs> so, you know, uh, they can take themselves. They can, you know, the battery management system can take one out of the out of the equation. In which case, part of, it, know, it would be part of losing capacity. It would be pretty easy to make that same system, you know, speak to the outside world the battery number in in seventeen and block Z is bad. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in there, but, but there's another problem though. With all those small cylindrical cells, they're often put in with epoxies and polymers and stuff. Um, you know, to, in order to get them out, it, it's you know it's a chemical process, and you know you're like trying to pry something out of something that's been made to never come loose, uh, kind of thing. Um, that's also 
one of the problems with recycling. These it's it's, it's a really odd thing because the uh, the cylindrical cells have the best longevity. So I think, oh, that's the one I want. Well, problem with them though is that they are the hardest to recycle. Each cell is tightly wrapped. It's like a little spring coil in there, and uh, in the process of recycling them, they, that has to be. It has to be taken apart somehow, and uh, all the polymers, all the glues and stuff that go in there with it make it so the recycling process is much less efficient. So, you know, it's got got a lot of different, you know, thought processes in there. The uh, prismatic cells, the bigger ones I was talking about before, uh, they're nice in that, you know, you can unbolt them physically, like with wrenches and stuff, you know, insulated wrenches, but then the batteries themselves... They're under quite a bit of pressure. They're usually pressurized uh, more than um, the other types are, so they have to have special equipment. And you can't just like send them into a big warehouse and have a couple of wrench monkeys go take them apart. You got to have people that are really trained, and you have to have you know, different uh, you know safety measures in place. Um, we're trying to make it so that uh, when they're looking at recycling batteries, they're figuring that. They have to make it efficient with automation. Some, you know, some form of automation that's going to that's going to take the safety factor, so people aren't, you know, involved so much. They're looking at things like uh, how, when some batteries are opened, they can get a, you know, can have thermal runaway problems. They can get shorted out in the process of opening them, and they can ignite. So they're looking at the facilities where they're recycling opening these batteries in some cases they're going to blanket it with argon or some inert gas or something like that that's going to make it so that there can't be uh, oxygen to help things burn um, they're going to make it so that there's a uh, cooling gases in there too that help prevent thermal runaway uh, there's uh, all kinds of different methods they've been working with because it's such a new industry they're looking at like uh, salt water baths that they pull them apart in the problem with uh, submersing uh, the batteries and different uh, fluids, though, is that there are different contaminants that make it harder to extract the different uh, the different materials you want to recycle. Contaminants um, in the battery or in the the salt water? Well, that's the thing is you have so many different uh, materials in there that whatever they blanket them with, whatever they submerge them in, it tends to have a a uh, problem you know problematic reaction with some part of the battery. Uh, so, like salt water has has certain things where it causes problems with you know certain types of cathodes and certain types of uh, you know connections and stuff. Where there's suddenly certain materials that you can't get very much back. Uh, whereas if you use a different one, then it it makes it so that you have other types of you know some of the other materials you can get back, and mm-hmm. you know some you can't. Like in some cases, uh, like. Uh, one of the methods they have for uh, one of the methods they're looking at for uh, recycling is just to smelt the batteries down to heat them up and, and melt them into raw materials, and then uh, you know, have them separated the different ways you would with like ore extraction kind of things. Uh, but in that process, you tend to lose a lot of the lithium. Um, there's other materials too tend to go up in smoke, and it's really a dirty, nasty process and creates a lot of heat. Uh, <laughs> One of the other things you got to worry about when you're recycling batteries is discharging them. If they're coming into the recycling place, there's a really good chance there's going to be some residual power left in them. Mm-hmm. Well, as it happens, some of the construction of the batteries, if you completely discharge a battery, like dead shorted to it, 
it actually makes it so some of the materials within the battery become more fused together and harder to recycle. Ah. So in some cases, it's better for them to have a slight charge to them. So uh, they found that if they're going to be smelting the batteries uh, and melting them down, it's actually, it actually can be advantageous to have some charge left in them because that charge becomes part of the heat source for melting them down. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's all these different methods and all these different ways and all these different directions people are coming at it from, all the science going into it. You know, go to, go to school and get into the battery recycling business because it's, it's a new frontier on uh, technology we're looking at. And it's, it's going to be all over the world. I mean, we're looking at there being, you know, 30 million electric vehicles in the European market by 2030. You know, uh, it's going to be a regular thing uh, that everywhere's going to be done. Um, there's also uh, another, the other kind of uh, cell I was talking about. Uh, so you have the cylindrical cells, the small round ones. We have the prismatic cells, which are more like the Tolstoy book size. But there's also the pouch-type batteries uh, that have... Uh, you know, it's just like a, some wafers of different, uh, you know, cell, uh, the different cells, uh, plates and stuff between them, uh, and then some electrolyte inside. Uh, those are easier in some ways to do, but they tend to get contaminated more easily uh, when they're taken apart also. So one of the things that uh, you know, they're talking about is the possible, like, uh, making batteries more uniform, uh, having certain types that could be easily sorted so that, okay, all the prismatic cells go into this recycler, all the cylindrical ones go into here, and, oh, wait, those have cobalt in them. Okay, they all get down this way. Well, one of the nice things about uh, you know, the computer is that you can put, like, QR scanners and stuff like that on your battery banks, and we've actually been looking at, uh, at uh, following the battery cells and stuff by using a blockchain type identification system to keep track of like the, everything from the you know cradle to grave so to speak from where the materials were mined um, so they can keep track of how they've held up over the years and you know how the, how the process goes of recycling them. Um, right now, the uh, the amount of recycling that we have lithium is minuscule to how much we're putting out there in new products. Um, the, uh, oh, I've read something the, like five percent or something like that, or is it even that? Yeah, high? yeah, it's some tiny percent. Uh, but there's other parts of that equation too. Like uh, to get one ton of lithium requires 250 tons of mineral ore. You got to do 250 tons of mineral ore rock in order to get one ton of lithium. And if you're going to be using, uh, if you're going to be Extracting the lithium from uh, mineral-rich brine, which is you know a liquid-type material, uh, it takes 750 tons of that to get one ton of uh, lithium. And the process of mining all that, uh, you know, to to get one ton of uh, of uh, lithium uh, out of the brine can take 1,900 tons of water uh, to process that. A lot of that water is lost to. Uh, to evaporation. So there's places where uh, lithium is being mined, like in Chile and such, where uh, they're using, like, you know, more than 50% of the water resource in the regions in order just to do the mining. But whereas if you're looking at uh, taking lithium from used batteries, it takes about 28 tons of used battery, not just not just the lithium part of it, 28 tons of, of used battery to create one new virgin ton of lithium. 
So uh, it doesn't take nearly as much water. Uh, it depends on how you produce it, but it's you know just a fraction of the of the natural resource you're going to use up. So is that, so why why is the cost still so hard to get people to recycle them? Well. Right now, it's still tough because they're still inventing the process of doing yep. it. You know, like I was saying, they don't have they don't have the automated machinery to 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 have a have. You know, it's kind of amazing to me that you can have a picking machine that can go down a row of, in a vineyard and uh, take all the grapes off. Well, it's it's not that tough really. They just shake them and they fall into bins along the way. Uh, well, to disassemble a lithium battery bank, you have to undo screws and undo different you know, points of connection and stuff. And you can't just, like, throw random batteries into a machine and say, okay, here, undo it. The machine has to be programmed. Uh, you know, if it was going to be a, a dumb controlled machine, you'd have to have an exact same battery go into the machine so that, you know, different arms come and take all these different pieces apart. Well, they're looking at setting up uh, AI, you know, artificial intelligence-type machines to be able to, you know, have this, you know, vast knowledge of what was what's out there in the product place. And they have to identify what's in each battery as it's dealing with it and take it apart on an individual basis. And then there's other curveballs, like if it was part of the vehicle, what if it was in a wreck and part of it's damaged? And it's not the same as it was when it came out of the factory you know, physically. So these uh, recycling plants are really a, a new, <laughs> they're really a new technology. And I keep on thinking, no, smelting is going to be the way to go because you just throw everything in and melt it up. But that's got its own problems too. All the, all the toxicity and the, you know, fumes and all that kind of stuff that's be reclaimed, and all the burning polymers that come out of it, and some of the materials that are lost uh, through the process you know, that aren't usable again. You know, there's all kinds of different issues with it. So, as far as getting the raw materials to be able to reuse them, physically separating the parts is the best way to go. Uh, but that's going to be the most labor-intensive, the most you know specific needed machinery in order to make it work. Uh, <laughs> it, it, there's so many different moving parts to this uh, scenario. Uh, they've been working on uh, doing machine recycling for uh, consumer products like you know computer and cell phones, stuff like that. Uh, I was reading an article from uh, from 2019 that was talking about how. Apple came up with this special uh, special plant that could uh, disassemble iPhone sixes. Uh, it could take one apart in eleven seconds, and they figured out this whole apparatus could process one point five million of these phones a year. Well, they made a hell of a lot more than one point five million of them a year. Uh, so there's just tons and tons of these phones out there, and each one, when you put it on a conveyor belt, has to be set in in the right orientation and position and then this machine like goes and takes it apart and it has a, a camera that keeps track of the of the battery and makes sure it's not overheating in the process and collects all the fumes and all this kind of stuff and it's just a it's a huge you know process to do well okay well what about the iphone 7 or the yeah. <laughs> okay well what about a chevy volt or a Chevy Bolt, or a uh, Tesla, or you know, BMW this, or a motorcycle that, or whatever different battery configurations you're going to have. And which which cells did you put in there? Are those uh, cobalt cells? Are those prismatic? You know, all these different things are going to go. You can't just like send your car down to the junkyard and you know expect a couple of greasy guys to take that battery apart. You know, it's not going to happen. 
at the rate that uh, vehicles collect, too. I mean, you know, picture picture all the vehicles that uh, come off the road <laughs> are decommissioned one way or the other through accidents or whatever uh, that uh, need to be deal- dealt with on a daily basis. Uh, you know, in California, when we're going to have 4 million vehicles by 2030, there's going to be a lot of those vehicles dying you know, on a daily basis by, through crashes, and there's got to be some way to deal with that. Well, if there isn't ready a ready uh, stream of recycling you know, available for these things, we're going to have to stockpile somewhere. And stockpiling damaged cars is dangerous. They've already been known to uh, you know, burst into flames in some cases when they're sitting there uh, you know, shorting out over time. Um, and a, uh, a charged battery that is discharging slowly into a short will continue to burn for quite some time. And at least gases that are toxic. You, know, you don't want to be downwind from that anywhere. So there's all kinds of different uh all kinds of different things to think about here. And you know, lots of fodder for people to say, oh electric cars don't work. Well they, they do work. They work great. Uh we do have some difficulties to deal with. <laughs> that that and getting the, the grid beefed up so that it can handle them and Oh yeah, and getting yeah, the yeah, mechanics that can can service those battery banks and so yeah, and, and I mentioned it briefly uh, last uh, last show, but um, Mendocino College uh, just got a grant um, to set up a new uh, electric vehicle um, classroom. They've got a million dollar grant. They're going to build a facility there, and uh, they're getting a bunch of donated equipment. They've got a couple of donated uh, Tesla cars already, so they're going to be teaching people how to work on those vehicles. My son is uh, into automotive stuff lately. Uh, he's been working on, you know, traditional cars, uh, so to speak. But he also like had the had the foresight to say, "Hmm, I think I want to like specialize in suspension and brakes." Because hey, electric vehicles still have suspension, <laughs> uh, and they do have brakes and stuff like that. So he's been working on, you know, stuff that can continue on to the next generation of vehicles here. So. You know, the, the engines and transmissions and stuff like that are, you know, smoggy equipment. That's not going to be something that's going to be around forever. I mean, you know, it can still be part of the market for you know, at least 20 years to come. But it's definitely uh, going to be fading. You know, it's going to be fading. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we have this infrastructure that we have to set up to, you know, to handle this new, this new world we have coming up here. Well, Alex, um, Alex, I think you've said more on this show than... The past six shows combined. I, I think I'd go further in the. <laughs> okay, the past year. No, no, I promised. I promised I was going to let him talk more because uh, usually I just jump right in with my answer without even giving him a chance. But you've done very well behaved. This, and and you've done a lot of a lot of homework on this stuff. It's clear. Right. And uh, and we've got what uh, seventeen minutes left in in the show, and we we were planning on opening up the phone line, see if anybody had any comments, tidbits, curiosities uh, along the lines of the things we've been talking about, or perhaps something else related to the renewable energy world. If you want to join the conversation, you can give me a call here at the Ron O'Brien Studios at eight nine five two four four eight, and otherwise, we're going to keep on talking. Yeah, so remember the three R's, the reduce, reuse, and recycle. That's good for all kinds of different things. Yeah. That should be like a mantra yeah. for, for people well, who care about the planet. It is a mantra for those younger than than we. 
they they seem to have taken that to heart better than our generation did but we've already got calls so let's take a call hello caller you're live on the renewable energy hour oh hi i really enjoyed listening and i have a question about investment in lithium battery recycling (laughs) so well alex better be careful come on but we're we are not investment experts and <laughs> you gotta but, find the guy who's got that brilliant idea on how to make this all work and get behind him somehow. Huh? And, <laughs> and do that, and do your do your homework as in all investments. Uh it's it's gonna be a new field that's that's probably got a lot of startups going on, so there's a lot of potential for investment. Um but there's also a lot of potential for you know, somebody to leapfrog over your great idea. I would say that it's got to be on a pretty large and expensive scale to make this work because yeah. the automation required and the equipment required to do it. So it's not going to be some backyard thing, unfortunately, in this case. You might get some ideas from the backyard, but it's going to need to be, you know, big industrial Scaled stuff. up with big venture capital. Yeah. Right. Well, that that that's good to know. I'd like to invest for my great-grandson. So, yeah. yeah well, Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. Good night. 895-2448 if you want to join the renewable energy hour conversation. Um on, there was another topic we were talking about that uh actually is is something that you know, I I made a lot of predictions about the industry over the push in three decades now in it. Um and and was Really pretty good, but one I got really, really wrong, emphatically wrong, was I once predicted that solar panels would stop getting bigger than about 175 watts. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it was what one person could comfortably, you know, maneuver and handle even with a little bit of gusty wind. And I figured that, you know, there'd be a, come a point where they'd be so cumbersome that that they'd stop making them any bigger. And they don't seem to want to stop uh i've worked on two jobs lately that involved 440 watt panels which are just huge i remember when the first panels i ever bought i could only find three places in the country this in the early 80s that would sell me onesie twosies solar panels and the largest ones i could find were 15 watts and in today's (laughs) and in today's dollars they were a hundred bucks a watt. Wow. And uh, by the time I was working professionally in the field, uh, you know, 50 to 75 watts was pretty common. Um, yeah. When I started doing, uh, when I started doing installations, um, this, this project I'm working on right now, it's a 25.5 kilowatt system. So, you know, 25,500 25, watts when I first started doing it, that would have been 255 panels uh, to put in for the system. But uh, this system went in with 60 panels. Yeah. So much fewer connections, much fewer, uh, you know, clamps. Clamps and, and bolts and downs. Um, yeah. yeah, there's there's definitely a, a scale that's good, for, especially for the big systems. Um, they may not be as practical for the small off-grader systems and things. Well, I've been looking at small cabin type systems, putting new ones, and uh, there's very few systems I've seen for a you know, modest 
modest use where we're putting in more than six panels anymore. They get 2,000 watts easily on six panels. Yeah. Um, that's a significant amount of power when all you, you know, your biggest load is a refrigerator. Oh, it was funny. I just, one of those 440 watt panels was an add on to a system that had uh, about 200 watts already. And, you know, 60 of those were two 40 year old panels that were completely brown and not a matching voltage, so they weren't producing like they should have been anyhow. So we took those off and put in one 440 watt panel and, you know, quadrupled the size of the array with a single panel. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. When we lived off grid as a family, uh, we had, um, I was having troubles remembering. I think you had, had 400 uh, watts of PV. Yeah, that's about right. We had 45 watt panels and like eight of them and they didn't all work. <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and your kids on a special night would get to stay up till eleven point nine. Right, that was that was late. <laughs> <laughs> that was really late. That was that was like New Year's or something. They were all excited. Yeah, yeah for eleven point nine. That that was the battery voltage for those of you who aren't living off the grid twenty years ago. Uh, <laughs> and and very few systems do I see that are twelve volt anymore, except you know old hangers on that were put in. 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, back-to-lander cabins that were wired on DC because uh, who, who would ever waste their money on an inverter? <laughs> we have all that EMF and the alternating current going through the house. And, uh, and the inefficiency of the inverter. You know, when panels were 100 bucks a watt, you didn't want to throw away a single watt. And, and there was already an existing 12-volt appliance infrastructure out there for sailboats and RVs. And, and the first inverters, you know, consumer inverters were made for sailboats and RVs. So they were still 12-volt for a long time. And there's still 12-volt equipment out there because of yep. that, too. RV markets and sailboat markets. Mm -hmm. But uh, the inverters have gotten so much more efficient, uh, people often lose more power on their low-voltage wiring than they do through the inverter these days. Hey, we've got another call. Right. A brave person willing to join the geeks on the air. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Are you talking about batteries? We are talking about batteries, and you can talk about other renewable energy-related things. Okay. But just want to make sure I'm on the right show. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. What, what did you want to talk um, about? Oh, okay. I want to. I am one of those hang, old <clears throat> hangers honors who just switched from twelve volt to twenty four, and yeah. I'm having. And I want to know what kind of light bulbs to use. In your DC, you've got DC circuits in your. I have an inverter, uh, and I have DC and AC. Well, my tendency and uh, for the light bulbs, you mean, right? Yeah, I just want to know for the light bulbs, because all the ones that I look at online look so weird, I can't recognize them. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, some part of me would would convert those DC light circuits over to your AC circuit breaker panel. But then what kind of light bulb do you use? Oh, the standard AC standard. light bulbs. Okay, all right, got to go. Someone's beeping me. All okay. right, all right, Bye. good luck. Bye-bye. Yeah, what is a standard AC light bulb these days, though? 
they're they're getting yeah exotic um, well they make led screw ins um yeah, a lamps as they call them. Uh, when they used to just be the uh, the incandescents, the the heater bulbs. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's there's retrofits for just about everything in LEDs now. So if you have a incandescent light bulb, I think the only place that makes sense to use incandescent light bulbs is inside the oven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in a in a. Uh terrarium in uh egg, <laughs> in an egg incubator um yeah, yeah that they are they are 90% efficient heaters 10% efficient lighters so the the nobody's looking at those anymore i hope um but if you happen to have a, a house that was wired with 12 volts uh take a close look at it and if you if it was wired with Romex is called that, that cable that would be if it was old it'd probably be white flat cable that have three wires in it. And typically have a black wire, a white wire, and a bare copper wire, hopefully. Uh, if that's what you're wired in with twelve volts, you can often rewire that by getting to each uh, outlet and uh, having it reset and rewired as a one twenty volt. I mean you yeah. definitely wanna That's that's what, what I was doing. that's what I was suggesting. In general the and sometimes it's not Romex, sometimes it's individual conductors, but they're almost always larger than you need for the amperage you're going to be carrying at 120 volts. Yeah, I just, uh, I I'm not going to suggest people uh, rewire their individual uh, stranded wire to uh, to be uh, 120 volts. Uh, it's just not, that's not going to pass any code I know of. So. In, in a, even if it's in conduit? Oh, it's in condo. Okay, yeah, yeah, no yeah, yeah. You're imagining the uh, the do-it-yourself job from 30 years ago back to the lander, which I'm imagine, probably I'm imagining the back lander house I lived in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a I have a neighbor. I was looking at you know wires spliced outside of J boxes, you know, underneath the floorboards of the crawl space under the building. With the rat chewed insulation and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. With me, it's my, it's our rabbit, and oh, your rabbit. And, and, and she just gets our uh, power cords on any appliance we leave on the deck where we let her run. Sometimes, actually, is she immune to electricity? I, I don't understand it because she has chewed into you know 120 volt power cords and keeps doing it. So I don't I don't know how she manages that. But she also has you know chewed a ton of my uh, you know USB charger cables. But enough about my rabbit. I hope somebody finds yeah. somebody sees my cat though. So hey, a couple of a couple of little things here. The uh, the the uh, nomenclature for lithium iron uh, lithium ion batteries, by the way, are libs. L i b s. Libs. Libs. L i b s. Started going about libs. We're creating libs out in California. We're talking about our recycled batteries. <laughs> ah, yes, that couldn't be confusing. The libs and the three R's. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you were uh, hoping to get a guest on uh, on our next show. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm hoping we're going to have somebody who uh, is pretty uh, involved with uh, electric vehicle charging stations and uh, different uh, 
different renewable type uh, legislation and such and such. Um, so two weeks from now, I'm hoping to have a really good conversation about uh, about that or different rules and regulations and hassles and you know uh, backroom arm bending you need to do to get uh, people to set things up right. Um, sounds that- like we're uh, looking at non proprietary. Uh, non-proprietary charging stations rather than, you know, Tesla brand or, uh, but they are being partially sponsored by, you know, other corporations that are, you know, like Volkswagen and stuff. They're trying to get their vehicles out there and make it more useful. Uh, you know, back in the days when the, when the gas via, gas cars first came out, there weren't gas stations everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a, quite a thing to set well, up the whole infrastructure. Yeah, but... That. but but the Model T would run off your moonshine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you can charge your electric vehicle with solar. You can charge it with, you know, you got John, if you had to, in a pinch, you could do it off the generator if it was dead in the water. You know? There's all kinds of different ways you could do it. But uh, but uh, we're looking at, you know, set up charging stations. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that conversation with somebody who's in the know about it. Well, one of uh, the many things that needs to be worked out and invested in ahead of time like recycling the batteries we need to be able to charge them too we need to be able to extract those minerals in a cost effective and environmentally friendly way or we may be opening up a different can of worms when we're trying to close another and yeah i know there are a lot of people worried about that yeah and it's good uh good things to be thinking about um, and, and, and investing in. What's that? And investing in. Yeah. Yeah, these are these are new technologies, and there's going to be uh, people coming to the forefront of uh, how to do this, uh, different companies coming to the forefront. And so there is some uh, investment that uh, can be done. Not, not by me. Yeah. I won't tell you where to put your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was my warning. We are not financial experts. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So one of the one of the other things that I remember when we were looking at electric vehicles is how are we going to do this? How are we going to charge them? And one of the ideas was to have battery packs that you could pull up and drop them out and replace. You know, just put a new battery pack in and be on your way. Yeah, that's certainly a downside. It can take you know on a hell low voltage connection. It can take you know most of a day. Well, that would a be low, low power connection. Yeah, what I'm saying, you know, 120 volt typical charger. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there's uh, if they had them like that, it would be a whole lot easier to set up the uh, recycling plants because we'd have a more universal pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and it's really easy to deal. Easily removed from the old dead vehicle too. Yeah, so <laughs> we're in an interesting time. There's going to be some uh, some of the stuff we have on the road now are going to be you know obsolete relics, and soon we're going to be like, wow, this is the best idea, and everything is like. You know, taken off from there. So, <laughs> yep, the the cream will flow to the top. Hey, well, we're down to under under a minute. Uh, I guess we should be thinking about saying goodbye, and that we'll be back in two weeks, hopefully with a guest on EV charging stations. Been fun talking with you, and we'll be back in two weeks. See you later, Alex. Yeah, be well, Dave. Catch you soon. All right, bye bye. 
This podcast was produced by KZYX-FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, local community radio for Mendocino County, California. If you enjoyed the program and you'd like to hear more, in Northern California, you can tune in anytime to KZYX at 90.7 FM in Philo, KZYZ at 91.5 FM in Willits and Ukiah, and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg. If you're listening to this podcast from further away, we also stream live 24 hours a day at kzyx.org, where you can hear our eclectic range of locally produced music, public affairs, and news, along with daily state and national news programs and breaking news. You can also find out how to become a member to keep KZYX on the air. Thank you for listening.